Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, your host for this podcast and the global community that has rallied around it. During this episode, we felt it was critically important to discuss the state of mental health for our nation during the coronavirus pandemic and invited a visionary and national leader onto the podcast to share her unique perspective and expertise. Dr. Megan Jones-Bell is a chief science officer at Headspace, a leader in the field of digital health in making mental health care more effective, affordable, and accessible to all populations. As part of Megan's groundbreaking digital health research, she developed and validated over 20 digital health interventions, including co-founding Lantern, an evidence-based digital mental health company. I'm incredibly thankful for Megan's time and commitment to sharing her insights on our podcast regarding how we can better practice mindfulness and what we should expect and prepare for as we navigate this global pandemic moving forward. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Megan, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on our podcast today and for sharing your perspective regarding the coronavirus pandemic and the mental health impact it is having on our communities across the country and beyond. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Well, Megan, it's great to have you here today. And because of your experience and perspective, as well as helping lead Headspace's explosive growth, I'm eager to learn from you as to where things are currently with the pandemic and from a mental health perspective, most importantly what we should be preparing for in the long term as a society, and how Headspace is applying its technology to the global crisis. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas with our guests and to interact with the entire community. And lastly, subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, Megan, I'd first like to start out by asking you where we currently are as a nation from a mental health perspective due to the coronavirus outbreak. And for our audience, we are recording this episode during the week of April 13th. It's important for me to update everybody as to where we are with the pandemic and when we're recording these. So it's important for me to give you those dates so you know where we stand. So with that, Megan, I'll open it up broadly for you to share with the community where we currently are. Well, I think that in the context of this crisis, mental health issues really will be the norm, not the exception. Prior to COVID-19, it's been well documented that mental health problems are on the rise globally and that pre-existing disparities in access to care are really only getting worse. Prior to this pandemic, one in four to five people are thought to experience a mental health disorder at some point in their life. And as somebody who's designed and researched mental health interventions for almost two decades, I can say these are not new problems, but this crisis is really exacerbating that. We see levels of anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, as well as loneliness on the rise. And we know that we're really just at the beginning of this mental health crisis. 
And so let's talk about that. We've been hearing from professionals like yourself that there's really four waves of a pandemic that we're going to experience. Really, the first wave is that immediate mortality and the morbidity of COVID-19. The second wave being the impact of resources and the restriction on urgent non-COVID conditions. And the third wave being the impact of interrupted care on chronic conditions. And then what we're going to focus here on today is that fourth wave, the psychic trauma, the mental illness, economic injury, burnout. Megan, where are we with the fourth wave? Are we just going into that wave? Is it already here? And how long should we be preparing for it? How long will it be with us? I got to imagine this is probably the biggest wave out of all of them, but I look to you to guide us. I frankly think we're at the beginning of it. When you think about the etiology or the causes of mental health problems, we really can't expect that chronic and acute stress that we're frankly all going through across the world will activate underlying vulnerability for a large segment of the global population. In clinical psychology and psychiatry, we often talk about what's called the biopsychosocial model of mental health problems, which essentially means that in many cases, people have an underlying biological or psychological vulnerability to things like depression, anxiety, addiction, insomnia, et cetera. And that it's really the inter interaction of the context of our lives, so our environments, that activates this underlying risk. A common way of explaining this is simply that biology or psychology may load the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. And so when you think about the changing context of our lives, this crisis has disrupted the healthy routines, the coping skills, the social connections that billions of people have used to protect their mental health. And globally, this poses a significant risk factor for the onset um, or exacerbation of mental health problems worldwide. And so, you know, typically it does take several weeks of exposure to unremitting chronic stress from which you really don't have any respite to activate that risk. And so I do think that's what makes us the beginning of this wave. We also know from research on other natural disasters that the impact of trauma does take a while for us to fully appreciate that some people kind of go into a coping period of kind of repressing what's going on or kind of suffering through it. But then once life starts to return to what we feel is normal, then we likely will see an increase in the help seeking and in need. The thing that worries me the most about this is that prior to this crisis, less than half of individuals with mental health problems received the mental health services that they need in the last year. And so we really do have this one already increasing need that's now been exacerbated with really inadequate ways of getting help, in part because most current solutions depend heavily on clinically trained therapists, and there simply are not enough therapists to meet the needs. This is why digital health, digital mental health tools are and really will remain the only way that many people will be able to access care. And so it's more important than ever to make sure that those digital offerings are of high quality, have good efficacy behind them, and are made affordable and accessible for as many people as possible. And I'm looking forward to diving into that because you're right, there is a lot happening right now on the telehealth side, digital therapeutics, et cetera. But let's also talk about maybe, as you mentioned, getting back to some sense of normalcy as a society. 
are we going to experience a pretty big area of post-traumatic stress disorder as well? And what does that look like? And what does that even mean in regards to what we traditionally think of PTSD? But what does that mean in regards to the context of a pandemic? Well, I think you can look at other research on major natural disasters could be a good analog. There is research from other outbreaks, frankly, mostly outside of the United States over the last decade that show that post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms are most likely to be identified in the period after the natural disaster that most people will present right now in a way of kind of numbing themselves. And so what we should expect is that people do need a heightened level of access to specialty care services. PTSD is something that does really require specialty care. And so it's important that we think about how we ensure the right kind of access and appropriately triage mental health needs so that people who really are experiencing something that is severe and acute like PTSD or major depression really are the ones who are able to access the care that they need and that we can protect the health of everyone by ensuring that we're promoting preventative mental health interventions and ensuring that people who are for whom self-help approaches are indicated can have broad access to those kinds of services. Well, thank you for that, Megan. And let's turn to talking about digital therapeutics, you know, telemedicine capabilities. And that's exactly what Headspace brings to the marketplace. As a very proud user of the technology, it is an honor to have you here today on our podcast. But let's share a little bit about what is Headspace doing right now for the pandemic? I know one thing that I was recently reading up on is offering up the technology to some of the folks that need it most, the frontline warriors that are taking care of the sick around the world. I know that's just one use case of many in regards to Headspace's efforts right now with the pandemic. Can you share with our audience a bit what Headspace is doing and some of the effects that you're seeing? Absolutely. So our mission at Headspace is to improve the health and happiness of the world. And as the world collectively takes steps to safeguard the physical health and well-being of ourselves and our loved ones, it's also really important to take care of our minds. And so to help people around the world deal with these unprecedented levels of stress, we're expanding access to our meditation content to help people manage anxious thoughts, build mental resilience, and navigate through this uncertainty. We've made Headspace Plus, which is our premium subscription, free for all U.S. healthcare providers who are working in public health settings, which means they have a national provider identifier. We've also found ways of providing access for those who don't have an NPI number in the U.S., and have partnered with the National Health Service in the UK to provide all 1.2 million employees of the NHS with free subscriptions. And just last week, launched access to French healthcare professionals in partnership with their Ministry of Health. And so we really have tried to equip those on the front lines with access to Headspace to help them. For consumers, we've unlocked free, specially curated collection, which is called Weathering the Storm. And that collection includes selected meditations, mindfulness content that's normally in the Headspace app. And this content is available in English, French, German, Spanish, and Portuguese. We've also recently announced that we're working with the New York Governor Cuomo's office to provide mental health support specifically for New Yorkers, since New York is being particularly hard hit and disproportionately affected by a staggering number of U.S. coronavirus cases. 
And you can access that just at headspace.com backslash NY. For businesses, we also have heard from an overwhelming number of companies who are looking for support and addressing the mental health needs of their workforce. So have shared uh, many of the resources and tools that are typically only available to our customers and clients of our Headspace for Work business free on our website. This includes content tips and tailored toolkits to help teams manage the transition to working from home, manage the effects of uncertainty and change, and take care of their minds. Lastly, we've also really scaled up our social impact efforts with educators. We have previously had a commitment and continue to have a commitment of making Headspace free for all teachers in K-12 education um, in English-speaking countries. And so our doubling down on that as we also work with them to make resources available for parents who are now in a educating from home, a homeschooling situation so that we can try to pull in effective coping skills for kids, which we believe is incredibly important. Those are some awesome resources for so many of us around the world. Megan, what are some actual feedback from users that you've been hearing at Headspace? Give us some stories because I know, at least again for me, and I am receiving no reimbursement from Headspace. It has been such a huge help for me in my daily practice, even before COVID-19. But what have you been hearing from actual users for your platform during these trying times? It's really been heartening to see people turning to us for such mental health support And just to share a couple numbers with you, and then I'll I'll share a few stories. We've actually seen um, about 14x increase in people completing our stress meditation, as well as 12x increase in individuals completing a reframing anxiety at home workout and about a 400% increase in inbound requests from companies looking for support. Just to bring to life some of what this actually looks like for our numbers. We've got lots of great quotes from healthcare professionals. One that said, I just want to express my deepest gratitude for your team for providing your service to nurture our minds in these stressful times. This is the much needed self-care that we need to continue this fight at the front lines. I love you and the team for this. Companies like you remind me that we're all in this together. I feel so supported and loved. I have another story from an individual who said, thank you so much for changing my life for the better. I'm so grateful for Headspace and how it enriched my mind. I was diagnosed with cancer two years ago, but I just found Headspace a few months ago. I've been meditating almost every day since, and in just under five months, I'm already starting to feel a sense of calm and quietness of mind that I've never felt before. I'm an optimistic person, but cancer is still clinging on, so I'm not sure what the future holds for me. However, meditation has given me a sense of acceptance of my situation while remaining hopeful. Wow. Wow. Are there resources or a place online that we can actually read some more of these testimonials? Have you guys kind of curated them anywhere? We have. There's a section in the app um, where we feature different member stories every day. So if you download the app, do a free trial, you can read some of these stories. We also often share them in our channels. Well, thank you for that. And do go download the app. It is a wonderful tool. And I can't wait to uh, go and share a read in some of those stories as well, as I actually have not uh, looked into that yet on the app. So I'm looking forward to that. But Megan, thank you for sharing some of those actual use cases. I do have some questions from our audience and from our community that's rallied over at passionatepioneers.com. I asked them in preparation of this episode with you to send 
send in some of their questions so we can ask you. They had some good ones. And one of them was from the business side. You know, we have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and, and executives at passionatepioneers.com. And, and one user and community member said, has COVID-19 impacted the vision of Headspace and the business model that you currently have? Or has it changed at all given the pandemic? That's a great question. And you know, I feel fortunate to work in a company that is really a social enterprise at its heart. And so in terms of the mission, our mission really has been the words on the wall of our office say improve the health and happiness of the world. And that's why we wake up every day and do what we do. And fortunately, our business model is aligned with that social goal. And the thing that has really changed for us is that our business has accelerated. We've also really been prioritizing work that enables access for individuals who can't afford to purchase a premium subscription themselves. And so what that means is actually working with county health offices, insurance companies, but really trying to focus on you know, who are the vulnerable people who are already disproportionately impacted by mental health problems because of social determinants of health, and how can we really work with partners to enable access for them because frankly, they're going to be the ones that are most impacted by this COVID-19 crisis as well. Well, thank you for sharing that. And another question from a community member, uh, she said, I heard that suicide rates went down in New York City following 9-11. What do you make of that in the context of the issues that we're facing today? Do you anticipate suicide rates going down following COVID-19 in New York City or even more broadly across the country? I think, frankly, our, our mental health risk has gone up. So I would unfortunately predict the opposite unless we, and this is where we really have an opportunity, and I think New York is a great example of this, is when you really come together as a community, and we see such heartening examples of this all over the world with people going to their balconies and their windows, and really re-anchor and orient to community, that is a protective factor for our mental health. When you feel like you're not alone, um, you have a sense of purpose and meaning through your connection with other people, that is enormously protective of our mental health and certainly could reduce suicide risk if we really do that at scale and pull people out. We're going to need to do that while physically distancing, but there are lots of ways we can emotionally and socially come together in spite of physical distance. Now, here's an interesting question. I'm really excited to see how you're going to answer this one. Another community uh, member asked, how would you measure the ROI on a mindfulness practice during a time like this? That's a great question. As a researcher, I, I love it. I think the ROI, ideally, there's a couple of ways. So one is by improving access to effective mental health care, mindfulness-based included. You should see that your utilization of higher cost services decreases. That's typically the ROI argument for investing in mental health is that People with mental health problems who have untreated mental health problems specifically are much more likely to utilize emergency services and end up getting inpatient, being hospitalized for physical and mental health needs. And so that's one side of the ROI. The other, which I'm really interested in as a prevention researcher, is if you can, and this is the great use case of mindfulness, if you can intervene early, enhance protective factors, reduce risk factors, really get people engaged in healthy routines like daily meditation or mindfulness practices, um, then you can prevent the onset and progression of mental health problems. And there's an enormous ROI there. It's slightly more complicated, but 
if you have a large enough population and measure enough things, you certainly could detect that. And do you see any long-term effects of social distancing on individuals as well as our society at large? I mean, frankly, I think it's helping us realize how much we do need each other. And so if social distancing is accompanied by greater awareness of the need for social connection, there's a great learning in this. Unfortunately, there's so much research that shows that social isolation and loneliness have a a really detrimental impact on our mental and physical and brain health over time. And so, you know, unfortunately for those people who are vulnerable for depression, this immediate period may increase their risk for developing a recurrence of major depression, which then takes on a life of its own. And unfortunately, it's hard to break out of without effective care. Same goes for anxiety. And so I think the main concern I have is ensuring that people are getting help really early, that you know whomever is providing care or covering the health needs of these different populations are proactively encouraging them to seek help early before things progress and are then more entrenched. I have two more questions. One of them, the first one I want to ask is, you know, and let me preface it, during great chaos, there can be great opportunity for innovation, rethinking how we do things, et cetera. And one of those areas is telehealth. I'm very good friends with Anmon Johnson, the CEO of the American Telemedicine Association. And Megan, I'm sure you're following as well. The rapid change and innovation happening in telehealth, because it has to happen given where we are in this country with this crisis, it's just fast forwarding rapidly. And I don't think we will probably ever go back to how it used to be. So my question with how fast things are changing, do you anticipate how we look at mental health, how we talk about it, how we engage with it as a society may change for the better after this pandemic? Oh, I really hope so. And I am an optimist, so I would believe yes, because it's been changing already. You know, frankly, over the last five to seven years, just taking companies in terms of companies addressing mental health or taking, you know, looking at how often celebrities are talking about mental health, it really has been on the rise in terms of greater awareness, less stigma. And so I think this has just really accelerated that social change and public level of awareness. We also see with younger generations, they are, um, one, disproportionately affected by mental health problems, and they are also much more insistent that they are addressed and that when they enter the workforce, they have support for looking after their mental health. They expect to have tools and resources. They're vocal if they don't. And so there are a number of different dynamics that are interacting, which I think does really catapult this into the future. We're seeing funding for mental health companies on the rise and continue even in spite of our economic situation. Well, that's some good signs, and I hope that it keeps going because we cannot put this genie back in the bottle. I hope it continues to flourish because our the needs around mental health and mental well-being for our nation and beyond are needed now more than ever. So thank you for sharing that. Last question, and then we're going to start wrapping it up so you can get back to the great work over at Headspace. This entire pandemic has jolted the system, has jolted the world, and has been very acute in what has happened to all of us very rapidly. But the question for all of us, Megan, that we need to, I think we need to be thinking about is how do we prepare as a society to get through this for the long term? You know, we're looking at 18, potentially, you know, 24 months, uh, pre post fallout. How do we prepare as a society to get through this in the long term? I really think it is by now, while 
as soon as you can, starting to develop the healthy routines that will support your resilience and buffer you from whatever's to come. As somebody who's studied behavioral science for decades, I think that, you know, there are times when we really need, you know, more intensive intervention, meaning specialty care or actually doing a program. And thereafter, we need to maintain those benefits. And so wherever you are on the continuum of mental health problems, meaning health and wanting to maintain health or prevent problems all the way through coping um, and really dealing with more serious concerns, there are routines that you can develop today and really work on cementing into your routine that will help buffer you and support you um, when you need it. And so I think it's really strengthening those muscles, experimenting, finding what works for you and realizing that now more than ever, looking after the health of our minds is one, connected with the health of our bodies, but is going to help us show up for whatever life brings us in this next chapter. Thank you for that, Megan. And of course, we can continue the conversation over at passionatepioneers.com. A lot of these questions that were just asked were from our community members, and they're having some very healthy debates, very healthy conversations, posting some incredible resources across the spectrum for COVID-19 and the outbreak. So head over to passionatepioneers.com, continue this conversation, and offer up some resources of your own. So, all right, Megan, we're going to start closing this out. Where can the listening community and Passionate Pioneers followers find you online, learn more about Headspace. Where are some connectivity points? I would go to headspace.com. There you'll see a banner that directs you to all of our different COVID-19 initiatives and you can get access and free access to our selected content right away. Excellent. We'll leave those in the episode notes as well, headspace.com. Well, Megan, thank you for taking time during what I know is a very busy schedule for you and the team over at Headspace to bring your perspective and to bring your optimism for what we can achieve even during times of crisis. I thank you for spending time with our community today and please come back soon and often for any updates you want to share with us. Thank you for being with us today, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.